Our scripture lesson came from Luke's Gospel, the seventh chapter, and the reading commenced from the 36th through to the 39th verse. And it reads as thus Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with them. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. I want to look at a companion text found in John, the 12th chapter, and verses 1 through 8. And it reads as thus. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Both texts seem a little bit different, but they are really kind of the same. I want to tell you a quick story. A high school girl, a sophomore, asked to talk with her parents after dinner. Sitting around the kitchen table, the young girl takes a deep breath and informs her parents that she is pregnant. The parents' reaction is as expected. The dad threatens to kill the boyfriend and the mother begins a lecture on the responsibilities of parenthood and how difficult it will be to attend school while caring for a child. In the middle of their fussing and raving, the girl raises her hands to get their attention. She then says to her parents, I'm really not pregnant. I just wanted to be able to put it in perspective when I told you that I got a C minus in English. There are some things in life that are more important than others. Similarly, there are some things in life that are not as critical as others. Even further, there are some things in life that are just not that big of a deal at all. Either way, the point is, depending on where we are, where we've come from, and what we have experienced, we each come to situations in our lives with marred perspectives. Yes, our perspective is often rooted in our limited understanding 
of what we have seen or heard from our own life experiences. And it is out of that influence that we end up forming our various opinions. Church, what I'm telling you is that what you see is not always what is. But the problem with perspective is that not only is it a subjective point of view, meaning how you see things, but also that it's usually accompanied by a certain attitude towards that something. In other words, our perspective gives way to regarding something that enables us to approach the situation with a preconceived bias. This is more commonly called prejudice. In other words, it's to prejudge a situation before knowing enough about that situation. It therefore stands to reason that our perspectives have the potential to either limit or enhance our opportunity to experience the fullness of our day-to-day experiences. This, sadly, also includes our ability to appreciate God. So today, as we examine our text, I, I, I want to... To, to take a look at our attitudes and to see what we can learn about the importance of how we approach and see certain situations. Yeah. I've therefore titled this message quite simply, The Right Perspective. The thing that I like about that little story about the girl and her parents is that it demonstrates for us our tendency to make comparisons between the severity of, of, of the pregnancy of the girl versus her obtaining a C- minus in English. We were making comparisons. While I can admit readily that the father's reaction was understandable, it was completely irrational. But do notice <laughs> that his irrational perspective, his irrational perspective was targeted to the boyfriend, which means that in his mind, though he knew that the death of the boyfriend would not solve the problem of his daughter's pregnancy, it would instead satisfy his rage as it masks his embarrassment that his daughter may have had a moral failing. Don't miss that. Sometimes our anger is nothing more than masking the embarrassment that we feel about what it means to us. Notice also the mother's perspective is directed towards her daughter. Her concern centered on how her daughter would be able to function and pro progress in life considering the handicap that comes with having to deal with achieving her goals while managing and caring for a child at the same time. Both perspectives tell us more about the parents than they do about the daughter who, was, who has her own perspective on how to communicate poor grades to her parents. I would venture to guess that by the daughter telling them that she was pregnant probably reminded the dad of something similar in his history that brought about his anger. And perhaps even the mother was reminded about maybe people she grew up with that had to face similar issues. In either case, what I'm saying to you, church, is that both parents responded from their own perspective, irrespective of whether or not they knew the facts or not. Yeah. And the fact is their daughter was not pregnant. Church, we don't know everything, and we don't always have all of the information. This is the express reason why whenever we are faced with challenging situations, whether they may be familiar to us or not, it is incumbent upon us to first seek to understand what is really going on before passing judgment on, on what action we should take or even think we already know the outcome. 
One of the biggest problems with most of us, if not all of us, is that we lean too much to our own understanding, and then we only consult God when we get stuck. Beloved, we do not know everything, and we don't always have all the information. So the point is, we need to be mindful of our perspective. In our text, we see a situation that has caused two different people from two different backgrounds to respond or react from their flawed perspectives. I'm going to give you the two perspectives. The first perspective we will see is what I call the self-righteous perspective. And the second perspective will be the self-indulgent perspective. So the first is the self-righteous perspective. And the second one is a self-indulgent perspective. Are you tracking with me? So let's read the text one more time. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. He entered into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought him an alabaster box of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. This text sets up for us what I call the self-righteous perspective. Here we are introduced to a man that, we're, that, that, that the text lets us know is a Pharisee. And this Pharisee has invited Jesus to dinner. Now, a Pharisee, as many of you know, is a very religious person. He, he, a Pharisee is a conservative, not a liberal. They believe in God and in angels and the resurrection and in all of the tenets of the biblical faith. But the Pharisees were known to be self-righteous people. They made distinctions between themselves and others, saying, in fact, I am different. I am better than you. They let you know that even in God's sight, they are good people. To make it quite plain, there were a group of people that thought very highly of themselves. Now the Bible tells us that when this Pharisee saw the woman was wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume, he thought in his heart. Now he didn't talk out loud, he said it in his heart. And he said, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman or person this is that's touching him. She is a sinner. Did you hear that? If Jesus were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person was touching him. Now, the part that, and you all know me by now, I get stuck on different places in these texts. I got stuck on that touching part. I find it very interesting that this particular Pharisee was, was, was focused on the touching part. So I had to do a little bit of investigating to try to see if I could understand what's up with this Pharisee and touching. So I, so I did some investigating. Now, if you read the text beyond verse 39 down to verse 40, this is what it says in verse 40. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Now, the reason why I want you to see that is because this Pharisee's got a name. His name is Simon. So that piqued my curiosity. Now, what I did was I jumped now to the book of Matthew. Because Matthew tells the same exact story. 
Listen what it says in Matthew, the 26th chapter, and the 6th to the 7th verses. The same story Matthew is telling that Luke is telling us. Now, Luke tells us this man is a what? A Pharisee. Luke tells us that the man's name is what? Simon. But listen to what Matthew has to say about this man. Matthew says in the 26th chapter and the 6th to the 7th verse, Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster box of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Mark, the 14th chapter and the third verse says this, While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over it. So the name of this Pharisee is Simon, and his nickname is Simon the leper. Are you with me? So what this says to me is that Simon, who is now a Pharisee, having all these people in his house, was probably once a leper that was healed by Jesus. This is the reason why he probably invited Jesus to his house. Because when the master has done something good for you, you want to spend time with the master. So this, this man, who was probably once a leper himself, who nobody could touch lepers. Because if you touch a leper, you got leprosy. Lepers can't go around touching people. And so Jesus healed him from his leprosy. And he's now a Pharisee. Someone now who's important in, 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 in the society. And all of a sudden now, he's concerned about this woman touching Jesus. Do you see the hypocrisy? Do you see how we can come from something and now all of a sudden we have become something great in our own eyes and forget from whence we have come? It is so easy to forget that you were once a sinner saved by the grace of God. It is so easy to forget that you were once struggling to make ends meet. And now all of a sudden, when you needed, when you needed help, you got it from people. But now, all of a sudden, people need help and you have forgotten them. Church, I'm talking about hypocrisy. I'm talking about self-righteousness. I'm talking about thinking that you are better than others. Be careful, my brothers and sisters. Be careful, for God is not mocked. And whatsoever you sow, that you shall reap. Be careful that you don't think too highly of yourself. This Pharisee, Simon the leper, had the wrong perspective. And Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. If you read the text later on, Jesus tells him a, a story about two debtors. One owned, owed 500 denarii and another one 50. And when the, master, when the master has forgiven both, who do you think loved the master more? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, who has been forgiven much loves much. So the first perspective is the self-righteous perspective. Thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. Listen, every person in here, I don't care whether or not you have a wonderful education. I don't care whether or not you have a phenomenal job. I don't care whether or not you think that the, you, the, the, the earth you walk on, the, the ground you walk on is all gold. I am telling you, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. We only have a short time in this world and before you know it, it will be gone. Your name will be forgotten. But be 
ye encouraged that as long as you live a holy life, then your names will be written in the Lamb's book of life and that can never be blotted out. But do not forget from whence you came. That's the problem with much of our people today in history. We stand on the shoulder of all the shoulders of all those heroes and leaders who have gone before us and we think that we got this by our own good strength. Trust me. Trust me. As much as we love this church, we didn't build it. As much as we love our lives, we didn't earn it. But I'm telling you that we thank God that there's a God in heaven who sees beyond our faults, beyond our needs, and meets us where we are and brings us through. But don't forget where you've come from. The second, the second is now the self-indulgent perspective. Let me read that text for you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now again, I want you to know that this is the same exact scene with Mary in the house of Simon the leper. So all of the disciples, now I want, you to, I want to paint the picture. This woman is wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. In the same room, a, 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 a Pharisee is saying, what's she doing? If Jesus knew who this woman was, he, would, he, he wouldn't allow her to do that. That's on this side, as the woman is worshiping Jesus. But in the same room on this side, you got another person with another perspective. And he's saying, why is she wasting all that good perfume? You know, we could have sold that, and we could have made a whole lot of money. You see, church, <laughs> thank you, Holy Spirit. Every time you are in worship, everybody else has something to say about your worship. And they're seeing it from different perspectives. They don't know what it took for you to be able to be on your knees before a holy God, giving him worship for what he has brought you from. But they all, everybody, got something to say about your worship. You don't know what it took for me to be able to play on the keyboard. You don't know what it took for me to be able to bang on these drums in this worship. You don't know what it took for me to stand and sing from this microphone. You don't know what it took for me to preach this message. You don't know what it took for me to sit in this pews. You don't know what it took for me to lug myself up those steps. You don't know what it took. You have no idea what it took, but you got something to say. The text lets us know that this Judas was looking at this woman and saying to himself, that perfume was a year's wages. 
We could have made a ton of money. We could have made over 300 denarii from that. And, and she's wasting it. What, what did he say? We could have given it to the poor. Sometimes we have a way of pretending as if our holiness is coming from a good place. We do a lot of pretending in church. I'm, I'm giving and I'm doing. Meanwhile, all you're thinking about is how you can exploit someone in the building. How you can take and get what it is that they have. You see, Judas sees, Judas sees the same thing that I'm going to call him Simon the leprous Pharisee. Judas sees the same thing. But instead of seeing an unclean woman touching Jesus, he saw a careless woman wasting expensive perfume. And the thing that was in his heart was, how can I take advantage of what this woman has for my own benefit? In other words, how can I take the very little that poor people have, their pensions, their life savings, their fixed incomes, their gifts, their talents, their abilities, and use it to line my own pocket to make me look good as a pastor in a pulpit? It's a sad day especially in the church, when we as ministers, pastors, leaders, and teachers use God's work as a means to cover up our own selfish desires of buying $65 million airplanes, Rolls Royces, mansions, and other sports. I don't care what people say. I am telling you, Judas was a minister. And very often we wonder why people struggle with the church because we're using the pulpit for other things other than preaching the word of God. I am passionate about this. Why? Because I am telling you church, the moment, and I do not care what anyone says, the moment you think that I am no longer doing God's work, leave this church. Whether you like me or not, if I stop preaching Jesus from this pulpit, leave this church. Take that to the bank. I am serious about what I'm saying. This is not mine to take for granted. And I will be held accountable for every, every idle word. And I am more scared of God than I am of you. I don't want your money. I don't want nothing that you have. You will not call me Judas. Judas's perspective was based on the fact that he was a thief and a lying cheat. And that character trait gave him a perspective that made him see the perfume as an object and an opportunity to satisfy his own self-indulgent desires. So these are the two perspectives I wanted you to see from the same story. This woman who has been through so much is worshiping our Lord. And instead of people joining in worship, knowing that they were in the presence of God, all they could think about is what's going on in their own hearts. Can you see someone come to the altar and offer unto God their worship? And the moment, rather than say, what are you going up there for? I know what you did last night. Who cares? <laughs> Can you be in the pews and see someone begging God for forgiveness? And instead of judging them, pray for them. That's what we need our story to be. Not what you know about them, because guess what? You don't know the whole story. You have no idea what it takes for a sinner to walk up to the altar of God and to beg God 
for forgiveness. God is talking to us and he's beckoning us and he's calling us. And all we can sometimes do is point fingers at other people and not realize that we're pointing it really at ourselves. So there is another perspective. And this perspective is the more useful perspective. And I call this perspective the third perspective. Why? Because it focuses on Jesus. Now here's a, here's a deal. The right perspective is always Jesus' perspective. Whenever you are not sure how to deal with a situation in your life, look at what Jesus does. Follow Jesus. If you're not sure, follow Jesus. You can find, listen, in this age of Google, you just need to Google anything and it pulls up the text and you can find Jesus. Jesus is more easy to find now. You can find him on Facebook. You can find him on Instagram. You can, listen, you can find Jesus now anywhere you want. Jesus is even on WhatsApp. So when you're not sure what to do, look to Jesus. He always gives us the example. So what we're told is when Jesus was invited to dinner by Simon the leprous Pharisee, Jesus displayed no hesitation in accepting his invitation. The fact that Jesus was interested in despised and marginalized people did not mean that Jesus was uninterested in the more respectable members of society. They too need the gospel. But now a woman of ill repute comes in to the Pharisee's house. And it appears that she's anointing Jesus' feet, which is an unusual act because what we know is that people don't usually anoint the feet with oil. They usually anoint the head. So this is a really special form of worship. She is just so humble that she's like, I can't even go to the head. I just need to stay at his feet. My God, can we get such a perspective? where the feet of Jesus is just enough. It's like, it's like the Syrophoenician woman where the, I don't need the whole bread. I, I just need the crumbs that fall from your table. And, 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 and this unusual action, you know, Jesus didn't stop her. And when the Pharisees saw this, he was indignant. When, 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 when Judas saw this, he was jealous. But Jesus always looks at the heart. Jesus looked into the heart of the Pharisee and he looked into the heart of the woman and he saw Mary's love and her faith, but he saw Simon's callous concern and criticism. Secondly, as the woman poured oil from her alabaster box and it's valued at 300 denarii, I dare say to you, brothers and sisters, that we really don't know the cost. We don't know the cost of that oil. And here's why I mean, the song that was made popular by C.C. By, by, by Winans has a lot of merit to it. Here's what I mean. You could put a, a monetary value on the oil. But for someone, what it takes to get that is a cost that sometimes is far more than you or I can imagine. It's like if someone has a billion dollars and they're giving away $100, it means nothing to them. But for someone who only makes $100, to give $100 is like you're giving away your very soul. 
So when I say that we don't know the cost of the oil, what I'm saying is to everyone it may seem like it's worth this much, but to a person who has nothing, it means everything. And what she was giving to Jesus, that expensive oil was the best of what she had because she had received from him the best of what he gave. Jesus has given you and me and every one of us here his very best, himself. And we find it hard to even give him our praise. We find it hard sometimes to even open our mouths and to say hallelujah. We find it hard sometimes to even come into the house of the Lord and to say an encouraging word to a saint. Why? Because maybe, maybe you don't know the cost of the cross. I want you to understand that this oil cost this woman much. But to her, Jesus was worth it. But I like what Jesus said. To Judas. Jesus said to Judas, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Here is where the rubber hits the road, church. Jesus was making it clear that even if the perfume was sold and the money made available to the poor, it would still not change the fact that it was not enough money and thus the poor would still be in need of help. And since the poor will always be here, focus on allocating your resources where they can have the greatest impact. And that is reverencing Jesus while he may be found. While Jesus is here, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all that you will need will be added unto you. This is why in this church we don't worry about having the provisions and to do the missions work that we've been called to do. We take the best of what you give and we turn it over to Jesus. Jesus will always look towards the kingdom of God. Always. And that is the right perspective. So the right perspective, my brothers and my sisters, is not based on what we think about ourselves or what we plan to do with our resources. The right perspective is about having the mind of Christ Jesus and approaching things His way. Man looks at the outward appearances, but God always looks at the heart. So the question I have for you today is, how is your heart? Is your perspective clouding your judgment? Is Satan making you think that you have nothing to offer to God? Well, I'm here to let you know, brothers and sisters, that, <laughs> hallelujah, there is no perfume in no alabaster box that is more precious and expensive than your heart. And that's the only thing that you can offer to gain Jesus' perspective, which will always be the right perspective. So I hope that I've painted a picture for you today. For you to see not so much Simon the leprous Pharisee or Judas the indignant thief. I want you to see yourself. Where are you when it comes to worship? Can you give to the Lord 
the only thing that matters the most to him, which is your heart. And trust and believe that while you have given him the best of you, know that he will give you the best of him. That's the message in the story. And that's the only perspective that we need. Listen, you cannot work or earn your salvation. It is a free gift that God gives to every single one of us. And freely you receive it. Freely too you shall give. So I hope my brothers and sisters that you now have the right perspective. The Jesus perspective. And I believe that this will bless you in the rest of this week. As you see your brothers and your sisters. Not for what's wrong with them. Not for how you can exploit them. But for how you can love them. May God richly bless you, my beloved.